0: Welcome to the Tree Church Bible Study. Uh, my name is Stacey Crawford and I'm excited. Usually I am a guest on the podcast, but today I get the honor of being your host. And so I'm super excited to share with you uh, the topic that we have for today. And today I'm joined by Pastor Chris. How are you doing, Chris?
1: Good. How are you doing, Stacy? I'm
0: doing really, really well.
1: It's, it's really weird to sit in this side <laughs> of this chair. So I've never been just a guest on the podcast. I think one time Pastor Matthew hosted while I okay okay while I was guest, per se. Right, so, right, but, exactly. Well, so it's different.
0: Awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited to ask you questions um, and just to learn more today and to help people learn a little bit more. Uh, today, we're picking back up in our Get to Know You Bible series. So we've done some Jonah, but we were like, we're going to take a break and we're going to dive back into uh, getting to know our Bible a little bit more. And what we've kind of been doing is just learning more about where the Bible came from, why it's authoritative in our lives, uh, when it was written, and so many other things. Um, And today, we're going to answer the question of how the Bible started in the beginning and the process it went through to get to us as we have it today. Sure. Uh, But before we dive into that, Chris, I want to hear... You are one of the people that I would say... Has the most Bible knowledge that I know, um, and so as we've been doing this uh, Bible study, this series on getting to know our Bible, is there anything that has been a surprise for you, or that you've learned in the process?
1: Absolutely. So I, I learn something new almost every single time I come to Scripture. That's so, awesome. Um, I, I I went into my undergrad in two thousand or nineteen ninety nine. I graduated graduated from high school and started my freshman year in my freshman year Herman News class. Uh-huh. And it was like a whole new world was opened up to me. Right. And I've shared a little bit about it in the past episodes, but um, just getting to the place where, you just the I don't I don't know the best way to describe it but other than yeah. like you think you have an understanding of what the Bible says mm-hmm. but the more you get to understand how the Bible was created you get a greater picture of the way that God works in, right. in our world and so like as those things kind of developed for me um, it was both it's both challenging mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the things that we talked about really it undoes. What I thought I knew in the past, mm-hmm. but then it also grows my faith right. and grows my trust in what I believe the Bible is, yeah. who, how I believe that it informs our lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, I love the challenge of it. Like, I love that it, it challenges the way I think about things. Yeah. But it, I also love the product of that, like mm-hmm. in how it grows my faith, and so right. I know, like, just even as thinking about, like, I get the opportunity to kind of come up with the, the series that we're doing mm-hmm. in these podcasts and whatnot, and there is an honest wrestle in my heart because mm-hmm. the things that I learned in in that undergrad class, the things that I'm we're sharing in this get to know you series, right really are things that we don't often hear. They're not often talked about in the mm-hmm. church. We talk a lot yep. about what the Bible says, but we don't talk a lot about how the Bible got from. to us and mm-hmm. where it came from and that sort of thing. And so like when I was in my undergrad, I was like, man, I how did I grow up in the church and not mm-hmm. know anything about this stuff that's going on? And yeah. my passion in my heart is I want the people of our church to have a greater understanding um, of where the scripture came from, why we can trust it, and mm-hmm. why we why we believe what it says about our God, and, yeah. and why why we can put our faith n- not in the Bible, but in the God who who ushered this book, these books, these writings to us Absolutely. and gave them to us. So, um, so yeah, the, that has been kind of my journey with it, and mm-hmm. so. Some of this stuff is newer things that I learned okay. to, to get back to answer your question specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is stuff that I've learned as I've studied to prepare for this, but mm-hmm. but most of it is over the years of my life, as I've come to know and understand how the Bible is put together, how I've come to know and understand what God is doing in scripture, like I'm just always learning something new. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've loved it. And and, and I, I would ask the same question of you, Stacey. Yeah. What what are some things that you've experienced and learned from this series or maybe you're a Malone graduate as yes, well so I think yeah. you took the same person for her hermen- right. freshman many years I did right um in your process of understanding where the scripture comes from what mm-hmm. has been most surprising to you
0: yeah um I am with you I think we I shared this the last time the hermeneutics class uh at Malone it was my first ministry cl- you know class that we had and, to take to be in ministry and
1: hermeneutics is the interpretation of scripture. Right. It's a big theological word but yeah, just means interpretation. <laughs> Essentially. Anyhow, go
0: ahead. Um and I just learned so much and I think that was really kind of the starting ground for me. Um but I'm I'm with you where it's like every time I read scripture it's like I love that it is alive and and it's active and yeah. and God speaks through it. Uh but this series has been really cool too because I think it almost has just like solidified some of that if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um I know for me just the history of all of it is fascinating and some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, it's just like, it's so cool just to see how it all laid out and how it all played out And, and that we get to have it today, you know, we get to look at it. Uh, but one of the things in the last podcast that I was in, I didn't get to share this. Um, but it was, it was like one of those, like, almost like duh moments. (laughs) Um, we talked about when the Bible was written and the last one that I was a part of and just the different timelines of it. And I had found this timeline that showed other things that were going on in the world at that time. So like things like the Olympics, the first Olympics and stuff like that. And I don't know why it never registered with me, but it was one of those moments where I was like, Oh yeah, all that stuff was happening at the same time, the Bible, you know, the Bible was written. And so I think even just knowing those timelines and the history of what was going on in the world around them, it's just really cool to think like, okay, so that is probably what shaped some of what Israel was doing. That's what yeah. shaped these different things that were happening um, during that time. So I think that's been one of the the more like eye-opening experiences and things for me. But it just has even helped me to really want to dive into that even more. So I've really enjoyed this uh, series and even getting to hear other staff members and what they're learning and, and growing in and everything. So that has been really, really cool. I'm awesome. glad we're, I'm glad we're doing it. And me too. <laughs> so, today we're going to answer four questions uh, for the purpose of understanding and trusting our English uh, translations. And so, we're going to first look at how did we get the text we call the Bible from the first century to the English text we have today? Um, we're going to look at if this is the process, how is our English Bible trustworthy? why do we have so many English translations, and what is the best uh, English translation? So I I think a lot of our listeners, I hope that you're all excited to hear more about this, um, because even just reading through it, it is really cool just to take a look at it. So, Pastor Chris, question number one. Sure. How did we get the text we call the Bible from the first century to the English text that we have right now?
1: Sure, yeah, and and let me just say the Old Testament process is very similar, but it is a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times where I like to start is where we get our Christian text from, like where we get the New Testament text from. So this process is really kind of the process of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Though the Old Testament would have very similar ideas and very similar processes. They had a lot
0: that they had to do, like and I think that that was fascinating to me, which we'll probably touch on a little bit. But like there were so many different rules and stuff with the Old Testament, like they had yeah. to make sure this and this and this, you know, a number of different things were happening in order for it to then be Consid- tra- yeah.
1: considered scripture. Right, right. Yeah. And and so like particularly in the Old Testament, the, the Jews have a very developed sense of who God is and how God re- is revealing mm-hmm. himself um, to the nation and how he is speaking to them because really it is it's it, the the entire idea of scripture is god is revealing himself mm-hmm. to his people through the word right, right? and so that's a that's a big theme in the mm-hmm. old testament and to see how seriously they developed that process how intentionally they were about that and yet there were still debates on mm-hmm. on how scripture was formed there there was a lot of questions around which scri- which writings would be scripture and right. and though i'm not going to get into a whole lot of that today yeah. but there was a lot of conversation around. Okay, these texts are authoritative. These texts are not. Mm-hmm. This, the, these texts, um, they fit kind of the method and the mode of of what we see is is true of what God is revealing to us. Right. And and these do not. And mm-hmm. so um, the the apocrypha, what we or Pseudepigrapha, it's got a couple different names. Yeah. But it's the there's like probably 12, and I'm going to get this number wrong. I should have looked at this (laughs) up, looked this up before, but there's books that fall in between the new Testament and -hmm. and the old Testament that, um, I believe, uh, Eastern Orthodox possibly still hold those as scripture. Mm -hmm. Catholics still hold those as scripture. Um, but the, the Jewish tradition never did. And so the the Hebrew Bible, oftentimes though they value those writings, Mm -hmm. never saw them as scripture in the same way they did Isaiah and, and, um, Deuteronomy and Exodus, and and even some like the you see the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees mm-hmm. in the Bible. They had different ideas on what yeah, was scripture. So right. the Sadducees believed that the first five books, only the first five books, right. were the the scripture. The Sad or the Pharisees thought that all of um and and I I never get the the numbers of the books right. <laughs> right. I think there's 37 books in the Old Testament. No, I always get this wrong. <laughs> I should know this, so this this is something I should know. But the Old Testament books, uh, the, in the entirety, the writings, the prophets, mm-hmm. all of those things, right. like Psalms and and whatnot. So the Pharisees thought that all of that was scripture from God, and so mm-hmm. there's that conversation. Right today, um, what I want to focus on though is really how it gets from the process of okay, so the Bible was written, and the the, the authors were communicating something to their original audiences. Mm-hmm particularly in the New Testament, we see it passed around as letters. And so let's just take, for example, the Apostle Paul. Paul would write a letter, and then he would send it off to the church that he wanted to address. So it could have been Corinthians, it could have been Ephesians, uh, in uh, Galatia, um, or or Philippi, any one of those letters. Mm -hmm. He writes these letters and um, sends them off to the places they're going to go. Now, what's going to happen is a lot of times they're going to read those letters at one church, and Mm -hmm. possibly read them at multiple churches. But before they go, what's going to happen is they're going to start to copy these texts down. Why? Because they value Paul's thought. Mm -hmm. They value Paul's insight. Paul was a a leader in the church, and so they wanted to keep these things. Mm -hmm. And so they begin to gather these letters, these writings up, the, the Gospels. Very quickly, they're recognizing... Four of them. Mm-hmm. There's a there's many being written, yeah. but four of them stand out among the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. So these four gospels stand out among the rest, and so they're collecting and they're copying these these documents so that churches across Asia Minor have copies of these things. Right. So right. they're starting to value these writings. All of this is kind of happening at the end of the first century, mm-hmm. really through um, the second century, third century. So they're copying these texts, passing them around. And and now what you see at the end of the the second and third century, you start to see this talk of like, okay, so these are these are scripture, these are not scripture. Same yeah. thing that we talked about with the right. with the Hebrew text, right. what they were doing, what they were doing, and so they're beginning to canonize these texts. And so what they're doing is they're compiling these writings mm-hmm. because they're such value to the church, right. and so the right. churches need them. They're wanting them. The apostles are are no longer around, and they want to keep an orthodox telling mm-hmm. of of what the apostles taught and what Jesus taught. So they they start to gather these things and copy them and pass them around. Eventually they're compiled into what we would consider books cuz right. in the right. past they would have been scrolls. It was very yeah. unusual for them to actually write books. Right. Right, So um they would the the t- the typical term is codexes. So that <laughs> when you see the term codex, it just think of the bound book like what we use today. I love it. So I
0: learned something new today. <laughs>
1: Um, and so you start to see them, see churches and faith communities gather these mm-hmm. different codexes, and they start to put, collect these books together, or collect these writings together, and they're still being copied. Like over thousands of years yeah. now, uh, you watch the church just copy these different texts, and, mm-hmm. and they begin to start to use them in liturgies, and
0: right, pastors
1: yeah. and leaders of the church start to use them in their sermons mm-hmm. and stuff. So like the Apostolic Fathers who follow up in that second century, third century kind of era, they're actually writing about mm-hmm. the new Testament in their writings. And yeah. so, or books that we would consider in the new Testament. Right. Right. So you, you get these copies showing up and these different references to these books mm-hmm. showing up and it's all taking place in this early church era. So um, that's kind of gets us to a place where you can kind of see how it's happening. So yeah. it's not just like the original was taken and then a, And then something, and then it was like photos. Like we take now to the Xerox machine, (laughs) throw it in Xerox machine, and spit another copy out. Exactly. These guys are handwriting these Mm -hmm. meticulously. They're writing them in Greek. They're copying in Hebrew. Yeah. Um, They're translating them into Latin because the Roman Church, the Western Church, is going to start to to start writing Latin, uh, Mm -hmm. where the the African Church starts writing in Coptic, and um, the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Eastern Church is going to still continue to use Greek, and so. Mm you get different languages start to show up in these copies.
0: Yeah. And so these text
1: yeah, these texts keep getting copied mm-hmm. over and over again. Now we're talking like we get to around and and I always mess up the centuries like mm-hmm. so about 650 AD. Well, okay. I'll just say it that way okay. because you now start to see um, English speakers right. begin to get a hold of these texts because right. up to this point you've got the Bible in Greek, Latin, mm-hmm. and Aramaic okay. and Hebrew. Yeah. So that's typically Um, that's typically what you, what you see them to, to translate the Bible in uh, what English would be considered common vernacular Mm -hmm. or, um, common language. It would have been, um, highly irregular to translate them out into all of these different languages. Right. So, um, at least in the West, the Western church, Mm -hmm. Latin was the main use Greek and Hebrew. Those were Mm -hmm. the only way they, they valued scripture so much that they thought, if we put it in a common vernacular, they're not going to understand it. They're going to use it for wrong purposes, hmm. and, um, and and it's going to create a lot of confusion. Right. But at the same time, what that does is that throttles back the ability to for everyday people to read Scripture. Exactly. How, right. Thinking about your life, Stacey, yeah. and the role that the Bible plays in your life, why, how, how's it been important, or why is it hmm. important that you get the opportunity to read the text in your own language?
0: Uh because I can understand it. I yeah. mean, you know, if it was in any other language, that would be, it would be a barrier and it, it would be more challenging, you know, like yeah. nowadays we have translators and things like that, you know, nowadays I could go on the computer, but to not be able to read it in the language I can understand, I I mean, it would essentially feel like it would keep me from knowing Jesus. It would keep me yeah. from knowing God deeper. Whereas now, you know, I just open my Bible and I'm like, I understand, you know, because I can read it in the language that I have. So um, it's so super important. So to think about these people that may not have been able to read it, like I, it's 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 interesting. It's just it's crazy to think that there was a time when people who spoke English they couldn't have read the Bible. They might not have understood it and would have needed a translator or some somebody to help them to better understand. And we're just I'm so thankful that that's not. You know how it is for us today.
1: And for centuries they would go to church and they would hear a Latin service, mm-hmm. they would hear a Latin message right. out of a Latin Bible. Mm-hmm. And and so imagine standing in church today. <laughs> yeah. And not being able to understand what's being said. Right. Right. And just having to trust that and and, and there there are good reasons for why um I, I don't know if you're you're getting this concept as you're listening to this, as as everybody's listening to this. But the script, the Bible, reading the Bible is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's complicated, right? And so having someone who truly understands and can can translate that and right. uh, exegete is the right, the, the proper term for it. Right. But explain it to um, to you is helpful. Yeah. But also. If you don't have it to where you can go and look at it yourself, right. it also creates an opportunity for abuse and, mm-hmm, and, exactly. and missaying what what's being said. And so right. this was really why the Reformers were so kicked on yeah. um, getting the Bible in a common language right. so that everyday people could see what God wanted to say to right. them. And I, so. as you're
0: talking about that, I'm just thinking about an experience that I had on a missions trip we were in Mexico, and we went to the church, and it was beautiful. I mean, like, listening to people sing in in Spanish, and it was amazing, but, you know, they're reading the Bible, and it's like, uh, where are we? What do we, you know? So I I think even that can help expound that a little bit of, like, that idea of, man, we are so lucky that there were people before us that were like, no, we need to get this out to as many people as possible because yeah. this is the word of God so that they can understand. So they're not like, I was in that church service where I was like, this is beautiful, but I I I got nothing. I don't understand <laughs> the word an, you just said. I don't to me. Under- oh word.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so you start to see this become a thing where where as the church expands and touches all these different regions, all these people want to want to experience scripture mm-hmm. in their own language. Um, and, and so since we are English speakers predominantly here, right. I just kind of trace the line of of um, how the scripture came to English. Now, mm. it's it's honestly unique enough that as it begins to counteract or interact with the English language, mm-hmm. that's when we start to see the, the Bible being broken into um, verses and chapters yeah. and stuff. So yeah. that is not... That is not a part of the original text. So yeah. I, if you're ever reading, you're like, that's the dumbest thing. Th- that break, where the where the <laughs> right. scriptures break or where that chapter breaks, um, and you're like, man, that doesn't make any sense or right. this hinders the process. Take or leave the, the verses and chapters <laughs> right. as you would right. because right. Um, they do a good job, but they then, help us reference things.
0: That's what I was going to say. Then they essentially they put it in there for us essentially so yeah. that we could be like, so we could say this comes from yep. Matthew, you know, whatever, wherever yeah. we're, we're wanting people to turn to in Scripture it just makes it that much easier for us to be able to find it quicker. Essentially,
1: one hundred percent. It's a reference system, mm-hmm. is what it's for. Right. And so, like, yeah. So if you, if they work for you, great. If they don't work for you, um, they make Bibles that you can take those out, or and they, and they have software where you can remove that stuff. Right. So it's it's just a tool to help you quick do quick quicker reference mm-hmm. to. Um, the writings. But we begin to see this process happen as they're beginning these processes of of, of expanding the role of Scripture in mm-hmm. the church and such. Um, it's not until we get to about 1380 that we really start to see some English translations start to show up. Now, between 615 and 1380, there are people that do certain elements of Scripture, mm-hmm. um, certain sermons, certain psalms. We right. see them being translated into English, but not really until you see John Wycliffe, mm-hmm. um, who was a, a um, bishop in London. I, I'm not sure if he's in London. He was in England. So mm-hmm. let's just say he was in England and he begins the process of translating the Bible into English, which is really cool. Though he is later considered a heretic <laughs> because mostly because he challenges the church. Like yeah, the, yeah. he saw corruption. He is really one of the earlier reformers. Like if you mm-hmm. think the Reformation is Martin Luther, you think those guys, right. John Wycliffe really begins that. Mm-hmm. Critique of of the the Western Roman Church, right, and um, has some things to say about it. So all of his writings end up being considered heretical, though most of them are not. <laughs> it just that's just kind of the the what he got labeled. But he begins this process, which John Tyndale in um, the fifteen think fifteen hundreds, mm-hmm. about the same time as Martin Luther. He f- translates the New Testament, and so um, we're starting to see these this this trend of. Um translations happening. Martin Luther's translating his Bible into German. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing more and more of this pushback against this idea that, that the Bible is so holy, it has to be in Latin. Yeah. And that, that, is, that idea is being thrown out. Mm-hmm. And these these scholars are translating now the scripture into the common language right. so that right. you and I and, and everyday people can read the scriptures. Yeah. Doesn't that kind of understand. go with
0: what Jesus commanded the disciples to do at the end, of, you know, where he said... Now go out and make disciples of all nations. So like I, I, in my head, I sit here and I go, that had to be part of what they were thinking is like, okay, we're, ta- we're called to go make disciples. How can we best do this? And if I were one of them, then I'd be like, let's get the Bible out to everybody. Yeah.
1: And they did. And and mm-hmm. they, one of the problems was though, was literacy at this point. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people True. though, they were beginning in Gutenberg print, printing press, was a big motivator and right. a big, big um, tool that really allowed this to, to take to take off, mm-hmm. um, yeah. because a lot of people were illiterate up to this point. Right, right. So even translating it in the common vernacular, it would have been a select group of people that could Correct. read it. But at least people would have been able to hear mm-hmm. scripture in their own language. Right, right. Um, but Gutenberg creates the printing press. Literacy goes up. These Bibles now are being copied and copied and copied. And yet, yeah. it's not until about 1611 that we get our first authorized English version hmm. of the, the Bible. You know what that, that one's called?
0: The King James. There you go.
1: <laughs> the King James Version. So the King James Version is essentially the, the it's it was originally called the Authorized Version, and it gets named the King James Version because the scholars wrote it in honor of, can you guess who?
0: um hmm, king james king james there you go <laughs> We're good so
1: in 1611 the the authorized version is created in king james it's named after the king at the time who mm-hmm. kind of sanctioned it this was an act of rebellion for lack of a better term <laughs> <That's> so <great. laughs> the western church was still pretty predominant like yeah. you're gonna read the bible in latin and this mm-hmm. is the only way it should be read right um and and so in James's act of rebellion and breaking with England's breaking with, um, with the, the, the Roman Catholic church, mm-hmm. you get the authorized version kind of birthed out of that. And yeah. so, um, so it's both political and it's, and it's <laughs> a blessing. God used right. it as a blessing right. to, to bring this into the English vernacular. Now, here's the thing. This doesn't stop here that they're a lot of people think, like, the King James Version, the authorized version, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the end-all, be-all. It, it, right. it, it, it stopped there, and this was the peak of scholarship, and this was mm-hmm. God's holy word, and, and and the reality is that it doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. Copies upon copies upon copies right. have been made right. of these texts, particularly now that the printing press is out, um, the the problems that the, the texts were having with like handwriting copies mm-hmm. was no longer a thing. They could make copies just by setting a typeset and then making multiple, right. multiple copies very quickly. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not talking like Xerox. I just ran off a hundred copies right. of it. <laughs> but I mean, you've you've gone from something that would take years to right. something that takes months now to yeah, do exactly. And so, like, you start to see the scripture just exp- just spread mm-hmm. and and people start to read it. But the reality is, we find new copies of almost every single year they're, hmm. they're publishing more and more copies that they found. They're finding older copies. They're finding better copies. Huh. Um, they're finding, uh, copies that we didn't even know exist, like that they didn't even know. Right. And so, um, and when I say copies, I'm talking like ancient papyruses stuff mm-hmm. from early second century or late first century, like yeah. stuff that really helps us understand better the process, because you got to think, and, and, and we're going to talk about here in the second question really the idea that people were hand copying stuff the people mm-hmm. the idea that this was being copied to another copyist to another copyist and yeah. some people may have only gotten a copy of the copy of the copy right, right and thinking about how how things change and and I don't know if you've ever copied anything down um
0: Yes and no. <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember, I just remember early typing class, like I was seventh right. grade taking right. my first typing class. And I remember some of the, trans, some of the, some of the things that I did. And yeah. like you had to look at a book and type what yep. you had to ty- Exactly. So exactly. I remember looking at that and thinking like, that's terrible. Right. Like that's not hardly even legible. Yeah. And I just copied straight out of this book.
0: Could you imagine having to write that over yeah. and over and over and again? And if you
1: look at these documents, like if you look at these things, There there are no spaces in words. There Mm -hmm. are, like, paper was expensive, so they fit as many words on a piece of paper as they possibly could. Everything's in lines. So I don't know about you, but I I lose my place when I'm reading all the time (laughs) and I have to start over again. (laughs) Exactly. So you get all these different things going on Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that this system really is, um, it has the potential for a lot of flaws. It has the potential for a lot of things to go wrong. Right, right. Yet we believe that, that God guides it mm-hmm. and God moves in it. And, yeah. and honestly, none of the copies that they have are exactly 100% the same mm-hmm. until you start getting into the typeset copies right. that, that you're looking at. Right. But these handwritten copies, um, they kind of pre- present a, some difficulty in the process, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. but yet what we, there's a lot of good evidence and we believe and trust that the Holy spirit guided the process the whole way. Right. So, right.
0: well, so with that, pastor Chris, that does lead us to our second, our second question. Um, and I kind of think this too, cause I'm like, okay, so if that's the process, so, you know, you, you talked about King James and, and that version and how all of that came to be, how do we know that our English Bible really is trustworthy? I mean, there's a lot of human, human elements to sure. it. So how can we determine that it really is trustworthy what we are reading?
1: Yeah, well, um, so we don't have any of the original autographs. So if we, if, okay. if I were to say that term, um, what I mean is n- where Paul sits down and Paul sends the final draft with the, he writes his letter, mm-hmm. um, has the scribe write it, he signs off on it, and the, the, the courier rolls it up and carries yes. it with him. We don't have any of those. Right. Whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, we don't have any of those. And so what we have left is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies. Mm -hmm. And as far as ancient literature goes, there's nothing that compares to the amount of copies that we have of the New Testament, of of the Bible. That's crazy. Uh, Particularly the New Testament. Uh, And and we're talking thousands of copies Mm -hmm. prior, fairly close to when they were written. Okay. Um, a few of them fall within years of when they could possibly have been written. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, most of them within decades, some of them within centuries, but the majority of them start to show up. You you really see a resurgence in the capturing of, um, ancient texts and ancient literature. Mm -hmm. So like when you think of like the ancient historians, like, um, Tacitus or, um, Levy, which these guys, if you don't know who that is, that's okay. They're (laughs) Roman historians who really give us the vast majority of our understanding of the first century Roman world. Okay, These are, they're not, they're just secular, they're secular scholars. They, they record secular historians. They wrote what Rome was like, what was going on. Scholars use it nowadays as the authority for what Rome was like, Hmm. but you don't see any of those copies show up to about 900 900 AD, okay, and they think that those were written around the first century. Okay, so so now you've got like 800 years Mm -hmm. of before you see the first copy show up. Well, if the Gospel of John was written in the 70s and 80s AD, and we start to see copies show up somewhere dated around 100 to 150 AD, that's pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and now the the copies that we have that are that old, we're talking like business card size. Okay. Five six verses. Yeah. Yet they still hold New Testament writings. Okay. Better, doc- better documents are the apost- apostolic fathers that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Their quotations of scripture, um, in in their sermons and whatnot, and and so what you have here is this this idea that all of these copies that none of them match up one hundred percent. Okay. You got all of this going on. So how do we begin to to piece back together to understand what's going on with? Or, what Paul might have said, or what Paul would have said. And so what they've done is they've created this system. it's called textual criticism, mm-hmm. and it's this I, the whole idea is they are attempting to reconstruct the um what paul would have said mm-hmm. and And the reality is because we have so many copies, because we have so many various copies from different parts of the world mm-hmm. from different and, and the further spread out the the better it is for this because the more we find mm-hmm. copies from Ethiopia and we find copies from right. from um from Greece and from for the Byzantine area and we and we find copies from Rome mm-hmm. where where they're in Latin and we see all these different copies show up we can begin to piece back together what we think are the original autographs right. what what's actually was said and it's really, actually, a really accurate process, and 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 there is a science to it. There's an art to it as well. Yeah. But there there's a science to it, and the amount of copies that we have, the amount of copies that we have compared to other ancient literature that we we do not question. Mm-hmm. And if there are questions, there are there small questions, okay. which we're gonna see. With scripture, scripture, right. there are still small questions that you're trying to answer <laughs> right, right. with what exactly the the original author would have written. Mm-hmm. and those are called variants. Most of the time those variants are spelling errors. they're scribal edits like if a scribe is making a co- making a copy, maybe he recognizes he made a mistake, so mm-hmm. he mo- puts a mark and Tries to correct it. Okay. Um, sometimes they feel like they know what should have been there Mm -hmm. and think something's missing and they add something. Sometimes they remove something by skipping a line or like just the, the, like the, um, I would say non consequential, like they're not doing, you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So kind of
0: like when you're writing a sentence and you leave out the word the, or something like that, where it's like, Oh, you know, it's likely to happen, but it's not going to change what was written, Why the purpose behind what they were trying to accomplish. Exactly.
1: I heard an example if, say, imagine that you were looking at a copy of the preamble of um, the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. And the example that he used, and I did did not come up with this. This is Dr. Daniel Wallace. I watched it in a video. (laughs) But he says, imagine if you were reading a copy of this and you came across this as we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect onion. So... (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. So these are the type of errors (laughs) that show up. Yeah, exactly. Like somebody copied, wrote the wrong word down, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like changed one letter and it changes the entirety of the the thing, not in a consequential way, but in a way that you go, wait, that's not right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So the majority of the errors, the majority, majority of the variants that we see within the different copies are are that type of thing, exactly. So, it doesn't change the meaning of the text, right? Doesn't affect any theological concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be some that will argue that, that, that there are some omissions or additions that do change that, um, but those things are all noted mm-hmm. within our Bibles, right. right? So, that's the thing. Like, I don't think uh, I, this can be the most unnerving thing to some mm-hmm. people. I think, and, yeah. and I'm just, I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, to hear that. You've got all these different copies that none of them kind of match up, and you got to go through this whole process. And there's right. these variants; it, it, it can be unnerving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but the majority of these things do not. Th- there are, I should say it this way: these things are not something that are hidden in the, the biblical text. Right. right these these you. are things that are very much noted mm-hmm. in the text that we see. And yeah. you you as a reader of an English Bible mm-hmm. can can find. The, the the I would say the biggest ones in your text. Yeah. yeah. So, um, have you ever heard or ever been reading in Mark 16 and come to the very end of the of Mark and go and see this heading at the, in your Bible? It says the shorter ending of Mark, the longer ending <laughs> yes, of Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is one yeah. of those places where the copies don't really kind of mesh on w- it, what's working Which best. Yeah. Be- and and the textual critics they go we get a lot of copies that have all three of these hmm. these different yeah. and even the best copies kind of vary in where it, where it ends here right right so they give you all three options yeah. and and, and <laughs> let you kind of read through and decide like yeah. so we see that in mark 16 that's mm-hmm. one of them where you see uh what we, we would call a variant and a lot of people ask that question like why does mark have three different endings right, right. well this is why because scribes at one point copied it in maybe a page Maybe a piece of the Mm -hmm. papyrus fell off as it was being passed along. We don't know. You know what I mean? But um, Mark 16 is one of them. John 8 is another one. You see the little note there that says this right there in John 8. This text may not have been is not found in the oldest manuscripts. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You see that. Right there noted in your English translation. Right, so, right, Like, it's not like this is a conspiracy and people are trying to hide <laughs> like gonna these things. We're going to keep this from you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the the process of textual criticism, I said, is a, it's a science, but mm-hmm. it's also an art. And so right. scholars are trying to navigate and give us the best understanding with the evidence that we have of what they think is the, the most accurate of the text. Mm-hmm. The other place that you see them is footnotes. Right. So if you look at your Bible and you go down to the bottom, you or if you're reading through the text and you see this tiny little letter up beside mm-hmm. your your um, text, these are oftentimes different readings of the text that yeah. they think that are convincing enough that it needs to be noted, mm-hmm. but not convincing enough to make the main text. Right. Does that yeah. make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And and honestly, I would even encourage those who are listening, just check those out sometimes because yeah. it really is uh, just fascinating to just kind of look and see, oh, okay, that, that makes sense or that's interesting. You know, just interesting yeah. to note as you're reading it. So.
1: And a lot of times the footnotes, what you're seeing is a difference between um, sometimes a scribe will bring clarity to a pronoun, mm-hmm. so um, right. the pronoun would have originally been there, exactly. and yet, so for instance, if Jesus is talking and the scripture just says he, mm-hmm. oftentimes the translators or um, the the textual critics who are putting the text together will allow one of the co- one of the um, ideas of Jesus, the name Jesus being there, mm-hmm. so Jesus said this and right. of he said this. Exactly. exactly. So it's. If you use context, you would realize nothing's changed there, right? Right, like, right. Jesus is still the one speaking. Jesus it. is he. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus is he. That's exactly right. So you can see if you read those footnotes, you'll see like the textual variants are are, are minimal, mm-hmm. minimally impacting. Right. They are. Um, while there may be a lot of them, as we look at across the the breadth of I mean, we're talking two thousand years of mm-hmm. copies. Exactly. As we look across the breadth of these copies yes there there may be a lot of them but again they're inconsequential they are um they're they're rarely, rarely if ever impacting of any theological truth and none of mm-hmm. them revolve around the ideas that we would say are core tenets of our faith right so in all all for all intensive purposes like we we have the text yeah, that, that exactly. the the writers wrote. So mm-hmm. there's really there's really no reason to think that when we pick up an English translation. And I had somebody ask me this question: If we don't read Greek, how how can we know that we're hmm. we're getting the 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 right train right translation right? right, right. Because translation is a process too. We're gonna talk about that here in a second. Exactly. But how do we know that we're well the translators are smart, mm-hmm. the the people that put these together are smart, and they, they yeah. really have a good idea that we have a great accurate representation mm-hmm. of what the scriptures say.
0: Right, so. and I think some of it is just trusting that process, and I yeah. think kind of like what you said, as, as I'm sitting here just taking this all in, just that idea of like, it's still leading us closer to God. Right. What God wanted to speak to us is still in there, so could there be some of these variants? Could there be some other things? Yes, but it doesn't deter us from the purpose of what God wants us to learn from whatever that scripture has to say. Right. And and how he wants to speak that into our lives.
1: Yeah. And even, even there, there's this term that goes out there, the, the inerrancy of scripture, mm-hmm. those that hold to the inerrancy of scripture hold to the inerrancy of the autographs. Mm-hmm. So they even, those who have the highest regard for scripture recognize, Oh, this is the process. Right. The, these are the, these are the things that we see that, that we have to deal with the changes Mm -hmm. in the text that we have to deal with. And yet they still are a proponent of having the highest regard for these texts that we have. Right. And, and I I sit here today, like in, in my, and I would not say that I am a scholar by far in any of this, like in my understanding of it, like I have full trust and faith Mm -hmm. that these are the texts that God wants us to have today. And so um, we put our trust in it because we believe that those who told the stories, Mm We believe that what they say is true. Right. And so and right. that, that the church faithfully transmitted those things and, and I should say the Holy Spirit through the church.
0: Right. Yeah. Have
1: handed those things down to us. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So that's good stuff. So, Pastor Chris, why do we have so many English translations? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cause there's a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are a lot. Yeah. Just go to Bible Gateway one time yep. and Bible Gateway is a, a program. And if you just pull up the translation tab, like you can it's usually one to two scrolls to it's, get to the bottom of it. It's it's wild. It's got a lot. And that's just the ones that are open license for them to be able to use. Yeah. So um, there's new translations coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. And and so the reason that we have so many different translations is because there are some of those variables in there. Mm-hmm. And, and because languages do not map one to one on top of each other. Right. So, you mentioned Spanish earlier. Yeah. Spanish does not map one-to-one on English. No. There, not only are there different words, there are different ways that Spanish uses the language right. as opposed to English. Right, right. So all of that creates a a bit of an art form mm-hmm. that's needed to really gravitate and, and grab the sense of what's being said.
0: Right, right. Um, Even if you look, I don't know if you know this, but um, I, I've been to England before, and even some of the words in their English is different from American English. So it is, it's so yeah. it's so fascinating. So it's not even just Spanish. It's English to English, essentially, too. So there are so many different variations of, of different words and what they mean for different communities.
1: Well, even think about, Stacey, about how our language has changed so much from the time from when we were even in high school. Right. Think about the lingo <laughs> and the slang and the like, yeah language is contextual. It's wrapped in our context Mm -hmm. that we're in. And so what is common today will not be common in five years from now. And maybe you and I were joking about this. Maybe it was somebody else, but uh, it it was me and my sister-in-law last night. We were kind of laughing how the trends that kind of happen on social media, like by the time an old person like me looks them up, like they're done past, exactly. and the new trend has started. Exactly. So, like exactly. to, to look <laughs> up and understand what what young people are saying, it, it's hard. So, like it's con- language is contextually mm-hmm. wrapped, and there's there's so much to getting from in, in the Greek language, mm-hmm. which right now I'm I'm in the process of learning how to translate the Greek language. So, getting from the Greek language, which was changing at the time. Mm-hmm to the English language, which right. is changing at the time, right? there is a lot of f- decisions that have to be made between the two. Yes, yeah. there are the, the, the and, and and most of us think of the Merriam-Webster dictionary that, mm-hmm. that kind of gives us, here is the definition. <laughs> right. You don't have that. You have yeah. what you have for Greek, you have lexicons, mm-hmm. and lexicons give senses of words and huh. ways that words are used. Okay. And so it's not just necessarily that this word means this. Right. You may look at a word, and you are going to get four different words oh, or four goodness. different senses yeah. for what that word will mean.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of an example right off the top of my head. <laughs> um, okay. So the word "akuo," which we translate to "hear" mm-hmm. or to "listen," it's used a lot in that that call that Jesus does that comes from Isaiah. Okay. Those who have ears to hear, let them mm-hmm. hear. Mm-hmm. Well, "akuo" can mean simply to hear. It can be listen. It can be to understand hmm. each one of those translations carry a different sense to them. Hmm. So the translator's job is to go from I see the word akuo. Now I know it's going to be one of th- one of these three lexical senses. Yeah. But which one fits the context best? Hmm. Is John just saying that they simply heard? Hmm. What was the noise that was going on? Yeah. Was it that they listened and they 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 heard like the context and took into them what they're gonna what they're what they were hearing or is it that they understood Hmm. that they they fully grasped what was going on Hmm. and so like you see how those small nuances change kind of this just this one word right and how we would translate this one exactly exactly so now you come to the now you come to the target language which Mm -hmm. is english and you go okay so which one's going to best convey if I just say "listen," listen means a whole lot. I can listen to a podcast. Right. I can listen to my mom. Does does that mean that I did what my mom asked me to do? No, no, because <laughs> the the sense may be that John says, "Hey, let those who have an ear mm-hmm. listen to what's being said," and and he what he means is understand it. Yeah, take it in, meditate on it. You know what I mean? Right. So now instead of just saying "listen" on the target language, I may say I may say. Let those who have a here understand mm. and and think on and, right. and meditate on, you know what I mean? Right, to give right. further understanding mm-hmm. in our language. Exactly. So
2: yeah.
1: is that one of the lexical senses? No. Mm-hmm. But does that co- connect the sense of what's going on in the text?
0: For me and you, most y- definitely. Yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the translation process. And okay. so when we come to our English translations. You've got scholars making decisions all over the place, yeah. and they're different. And then mm-hmm. you've got scholars learning more, and we've got new, new documents. I mean, in 1945, we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. That changed, mm-hmm. that changed the world of Old Testament scholarship in a lot of different ways. Yeah. The way we translate, because to the date, these were the oldest texts that, mm-hmm. that they found. So right, right. Um, it changed, it changed all that. They mm-hmm. they went back to the textual criticism process and reevaluated the, the the text, and they compared them, and they're contrasting them, and they're they're retranslating mm-hmm. and all of that. And so um, all of these things kind of impact how we translate. So that's why you see new translations show up time and time again, because mm-hmm. it is an art and it's a science. It's, yeah. it's, there, it's just this process of... Finding the best way to communicate what God was communicating to his people.
0: Right, right. So, yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that there's so many different translations. I know there have been a number of times where I've compared them, um, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but just for different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is super helpful because sometimes one translation might use this word, and it's like, oh, uh, like kind of what you were saying earlier, where it's like, I can hear something. But to actually like do it yeah. is, is a totally different meaning in, yeah. in the English language. and so um, I think that having those different translations has even helped me to better understand exactly what it is that that God is wanting to speak, that God's wanting to say. Do you have experience with that as well?
1: Yeah, so I, that oftentimes that's one of the best tools that you can do mm-hmm. um, the best tools that you can use when you're doing when you're reading a passage of scripture. So mm-hmm. if you're doing Bible study, and you want to get a greater sense of what's being said. Like I, I did a, a little class not too long ago where we used Philippians 4.13 as an example. Mm-hmm. And so I brought it out and showed it in the NIV, and I showed it in the NLT, and I showed it in the uh, ESV, and I showed it in all these different translations. And you begin to see these small nu- nuanced changes in how these, how these committees and translators really how they wanted to capture the essence of what the Greek was actually saying. Mm-hmm. And, and so like the NLT, the, if I'm remembering the passage right, and I'm not always best at remembering, memorizing scripture, hmm. but Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who right. gave me strength. Right. So that's the ESV version. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's pretty close to the NIV, NIV version yes. too. So I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The NLT goes, I can do all things... Or I think it says I can do everything through Christ Jesus, who gives me strength. Mm. So the NLT has decided to to translate to to fill in the gaps there mm-hmm. with who some of the pronouns are. Yeah, you know what I mean. So right. it gives us the name Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not actually in the text. Yeah, but it is in the text right. because right. the he refers to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So you get this process of where these these guys they're just making this decision. But if you're newer to the faith and you're newer to reading scripture. It's helpful to have that Jesus Christ in there, exactly, because it takes away those gaps right. where you're trying to you're trying to he, understand. What, yeah, yeah, who, who are you he? talking about? Yeah. yeah, what are all things? And and so like, yes, um, the, the different translations don't really clear that up. You need to go to the context, right? And look <laughs> right. look further out at the other verses around it. Right. But um, but you get the sense of what yeah, I'm saying. Like exactly, a textual comparison can bring you more information because mm-hmm. each each version is going to highlight something different for a different yes, reason. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So.
0: Exactly. Uh so we have all these translations and I know some people have opinions on what's the best, sure. which one should I use? So what is the best English translation that we have?
1: <laughs> okay, so um the there it there's a thought out there and and, and I'm going to be careful um, our new Testament professor or the guy who did our hermeneutics class Mm -hmm. had very strong opinions about this. Yes, he did. And so, (laughs) um, there's a thought out there that the King James version, the one from 1611, that it is the closest to the original, Mm -hmm. uh, the original, the original manuscripts that the the writers wrote. Unfortunately, that's just not supported by evidence. And so, um, while the king james version is great in the fact that it was the like it was one of the first english bibles not the first english bible but mm-hmm. one of the first and and it's important it it's not it was not based on the best texts so like mm-hmm. all of those copies um they got collected and and they started making these big codexes that they would copy everything from mm-hmm. so vaticanus is is one of the ones that that it was um translated from so you got the the latin version that they translated the king Mm. james version into you get the textus receptus which is the main greek translation so they compiled all those greek texts Mm -hmm. made one greek text and um, they translated off of that now those were great tools at the Mm -hmm. time and so like the king james version gets really close to kind of what we have today at the same time like I said, we have found new copies. We found older copies. We mm-hmm. found better copies. We've right. gotten better at right. the the textual critic criticism process, mm-hmm. and exactly. so we have found new ways of communicating. And language has changed mm-hmm. so much that honestly, even the King James committees have updated their their translation. Right. Um, and now the the purists who would say no, that's not it. That's not the that's not the the, the authorized version. Um, they would have words with that, but, um, <laughs> but honestly, it, it's 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 just not the best mm-hmm. for us today. And so right. there's all these other different translations that really do a better job of bringing the new scholarship in. And so there was a meme that went around a, a while back about, and and I saw this on Facebook a lot, and, mm. and and it was on TikTok and Instagram and all these different places how. Um, these, these new translation committees, how they're destroying the Bible mm. and how they're removing verses and how they're taking things out. And, and and nobody is trying to hide that this process is happening. Right. But what's happening is scholars are realizing from some of the newer documents that we have that there are passages that got put in that, should, that, that they don't think were part of the original. Okay. And so what we see happening is you see verses disappearing out. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're getting rid of them. It's because they were most likely never there. Mm-hmm. And so, right, um, right. so, yeah, so that's kind of what's happening. The mm-hmm. reality is most of the English translations are capturing exactly what is thought to be right. the best representation of these original autographs.
0: Right. Well, we have more information. Like you said, we have more information yeah. about it. We're able to study it a little bit more. We un- like There sure. are people who are really studying Greek, you know, understanding more of that. So it is almost like you can really look at these translations and go, this probably is even truer to it because mm-hmm. of the way that they're, they're looking at it, what scholars are doing and, and what's going into that process of, of determining. Yeah.
1: It, w- it would be like saying the best medicine was done at Leonardo da Vinci's time. Exactly. Yeah. And saying, I'm only going to use Leonardo da Vinci's medicine. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. Um, so it's, it, we wouldn't do that. Right. And medical advances have Granted, we use a lot of what Leonardo da Vinci started, exactly. you know what I mean, with his exactly. discoveries, but um, we have advanced far beyond that. And so exactly. the, there's a level of, we have better tools to mm-hmm. to do the job now. And so right. that's that's why you see these things happen. Right. But any translation that you find, such as the NIV, NRSV, the ASB, the ESV, the, the New King James Version, the NLT, the NRRV, the CSB, all of these are done by committee mm-hmm. and all of them are. Are, are very well-vetted yeah. um, translations. Um, even the ones that you find from single translators, mm-hmm. such as the Message Bible, which was yeah. translated by Eugene Peterson. Yeah. I, I think he did a phenomenal job with mm-hmm. it. Um, and, and so, or you get the New Testament for everyone, which uh, N.T. Wright, uh, or Tom Wright, if you're, if you're from England, um, he, he's a scholar who's pretty famous and and wrote a lot of popular Christian literature and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He did his own translation of, of it. And it's a pretty, po- it's a pretty popular thing now for commentators to translate okay. and write commentary. So, mm. um, a lot of guys do this and a lot of ladies do this, but, um, they're still good. And, and, and they're, even though it, I, I would suggest that if you're ever doing a single person translation Pair it with your NIV, your ESV, your right. NRSV, your NLT, just to see where they differ and mm-hmm. and and maybe see why they differ in certain certain places. Right. Um, again, it's all right there for you to look at in English. They, yeah. Because they're both trying to represent the text as best they understand mm-hmm. and capture the nuances and the the, the tricks of it. Um, one right. some things that you do need to keep in mind when you're picking a translation, pick one that's easiest for you to read. Yep. Um, yep. If if you can't if you can't read it, it's not really doing any right. good. It's you not going mean? to help anything. It's not helping. So, <laughs> right. um, Stacy, what translation actually do you use?
0: Um, so I, at home, I have an ESV study Bible. So okay. I, I know the translation is the ESV, but I was even going to encourage people. I love having a study Bible just because it, it, with each one it kind of gives you the backstory sure of what the book is about tells you the timeline and then at the bottom there have been multiple times where it's like i don't quite understand what they're saying but it it lays out something so no matter the translation i encourage people to get a study bible because it really is so helpful and beneficial and there's so many different ones for the different translations but i typically We'll do ESV just because I know that's on a Sunday morning. That's typically what we're reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, But two of my other favorites are the NIRV and the NIV. um, Not the NIV, NLT. um, Because I just, I feel like sometimes the phrasing and stuff just helps me understand it a little bit better. And if I am remembering this correctly, the NIRV is at fourth grade reading level, correct? Yep. Um, And so I think that's part of why I like that one. Um, But also... If you have kids, one of my favorites is the Action Bible. Okay, um, and I think that's an NIR. I think that it they kind of it's based they adapt on the, the NIR, yeah yeah. Um, we're reading through it with our daughter right now, and I am loving it. Just the pictures and and just even learning a little bit more about the stories, but you know where you can put it to where a kid's gonna understand what's going on. So. Those are some of my uh, my go-to, I guess, Bible and and translations as well. But those are some of my favorites right now. What about you, sure. uh, Pastor Chris?
1: Yeah, so I'll use the NRSV a lot just because that is mm-hmm. that is the translation of scholarship. So like okay. a lot of times when I'm doing my writing for school, uh, mm-hmm. I have to use the NRSV. So I'll use that a lot. I like the NLT. Um, I like the NRI, NIRV. I've experienced mm-hmm. that a little bit with my kids. Those are the Bibles that I've bought for my kids. Right. Um the CSB is a really good translation. We okay. we give that out to new believers. Right, and right. um that's based off of if you if you know the the old Holman Christian Standard Bible, they've just changed it to the Christian Standard Bible. Okay. Um that's really good. The ESV obviously we use here at mm-hmm. church. And and for me the differences are um uh, there there's a few reasons for the differences. Mm-hmm. With the scholarship one, um I go to a school that is egalitarian and so okay. The gender-neutral language that the NRSV captures mm-hmm. is is important for the, for that. Um, now, it's also the the book, like I said, that that is used through throughout most scholarship. That's a translation that's mm-hmm. used, but um, the ESV is not gender um, is, is not gender-neutral. It, okay. it translates pronouns okay. in the, in their masculine form. So if a if a masculine pronoun shows up, the ESV will translate it literally mm-hmm. what the masculine form was. Okay, um, and so without getting into too much detail, that's a theological, that's a, that's a theological decision, not a translation decision necessarily. Right. right. Well, it's translation, but for, the on, theological, yeah, for purposes. theological purposes, yeah, which right. the ESV is predominantly, um, complementarian, um, the NIV and RSV, those that do gender neutral, they, they're typically egalitarian okay. in background. Um, the importance of that though is not that even though the, the, the Greek may be literally, and masculine pronoun. Mm-hmm. It could be referring to the church as a whole. Oh, okay. So okay. what happens is it's not that the the NI, NIV and NRSV that they they kind of in the NLT because the NLT is the same way. It's not that they kick the the Greek to the curb and forget about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's that they're grabbing the greater sense of of the Greek. So if even though it's used in a ma- like maybe it's referencing to the church, it's something's referencing the entire church, but it yeah. says he, mm. but it's about the church that has men, women, children, all the above. And, um, the, the, the gender neutral translators will go, Mm -hmm. well, that's referring to multiple people. And Mm -hmm. they'll say they, instead of he, you know what I mean? Or they'll use human instead of mankind, humankind, stuff like that. Yeah. So they are staying faithful and true to the text. They're Mm -hmm. not abandoning the text. Um, though literally the literal language is a, a masculine pronoun um, which is, that's great to represent that too. The ESVs mm-hmm. well; it is a, it is, it tries to be a word for word as much as it can translation okay. where the NLT, the N I V and R S V are more shooting for the general thought of, mm-hmm. of the, um, text. Right. One is better. One is not better than the other. They're mm-hmm. both useful. The ESV, if you read it for long enough, you're going to be like, why is it, that's worded weird. Yeah. That's because <laughs> exactly. they're trying to also follow the Greek sentence structure, which is not English sentence structure. No not at all. (laughs) So you get those kind of different things going on. And Mm
2: -hmm.
1: as long as you're using multiple translations, and when you come up to something that you're like, I've got a question about this, Mm -hmm. and you check it against other translations, and you ask questions about it,
2: you're safe. Exactly. You know what I mean? Even the
1: message, I love the message, and I'm Mm -hmm. using the message, I'm using it for, the message is a paraphrase. So when Eugene Peterson translated, he decided that he wanted to put it in the most common mm-hmm. everyday language that he possibly exactly. could. So that if someone had never touched Scripture before, mm-hmm. they'd be able to pick it up, read the story, re- read what's be- what's being said and whatnot. It's just a, a great way, if you're familiar with the language of the other translations mm-hmm. in some way or another, it brings a new light to Scripture. Exactly. So I read it for my devotional time. Yeah. I, that's, that's the one I use in my devotional time for one it takes my mind off of i'm going to study this and mm-hmm. it allows me just more to enter into my time with god though i love that study time is devotional time as right, well but right. um but that's kind of my thought w- with it so mm-hmm. but using it alongside the other translations at right. different times for different reasons yeah. um use all of them Yeah, even jump into the old king james man it's so poetic and it's mm-hmm. beautiful at times the way it words things so right, right. um I, just because i don't think it's the the best translation Doesn't mean or it doesn't hold up to the claims that many want to put on it. Mm -hmm. um, Doesn't mean it's not useful and doesn't mean it's not good for us to read. So, um, I would encourage you just for whatever purpose you have in it. If it if it touches your heart to read that, read that translation. But read in comparison to the some of the newer ones and see exactly how it shakes out.
0: Exactly, I know, and I know for me like. I love having so many different translations because I know different ways that I've used it is, you know, um, I'm a part of the teaching team now. And so even just, you know, whenever that time comes to be able to see what does it say in this? What does it say in this? Did I grab something different? Um, Even my own personal Bible study time. I know when I've Mm -hmm. written devotionals. A lot of times I'll go based on whatever the topic is, and I'm like, I really like the way that this one phrases it because it's going to go so much better with the devotional that I'm writing. Um, Or even, I know for me, one of the ways that I like the different translations is I really love to send encouraging Bible verses or Bible verses to people when they're going through difficulties. And sometimes, I think even there was one time where you sent me uh, the message version of um, the Beatitudes, and it spoke to me mm-hmm. so much differently than I think any other translation would have in that that time, and and I appreciated that. So I think that there's so much value and so many good things in having all these different translations, sure, all for the purpose of it's going to just cause you to go closer and and draw deeper to God and understand His Word so much more.
1: Absolutely, and 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 I hope that as this is a lot of information, and mm-hmm. I've had a lot of years to process this. And I can I can promise you, the first time I heard it, I was like, "Wait, what a minute? Wait, yeah, Like what a minute? And that's not a <laughs> saying." So, um, wait a Maybe minute. Maybe we could make it one. <laughs> yeah. What a minute. <laughs> um I was like, "Wait a minute, what 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 are you saying?" And and so like, if you're in that place today, and you're you're like, "Man, that was a lot of information. I'm not quite sure I fully understand." Mm-hmm. Here here's here's the 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 22nd recap god through his holy spirit has used humankind to translate and transmit and write and and speak and reveal himself to mankind so mm-hmm. it's it's a human document that the holy spirit has saturated the process right and so we can trust and have faith in the god of the bible mm-hmm. because yes he has revealed himself through these texts and our tradition, our faith tradition, mm-hmm. has passed these down from the time of the apostles, from the time of Jesus himself, in the Old Testament, from the time of Moses and, and beyond. Yeah. We've had these texts with us in this faith, and in mm-hmm. generation after generation has said, these are what best represent exactly. our faith, and exactly. so we can trust
0: it. Yeah. Um, and then just one other thing is... Um, Because we're talking about a number of different translations, don't feel like you have to go and buy each and every translation. Sure. There's a lot of great resources, uh, Mm -hmm. BibleGateway.com. You had referenced that earlier in the podcast. There's a Bible app, YouVersion Bible app, and it Mm -hmm. has a number of the different translations. So you can have them all readily available. Because even as we were talking, I don't have all of those different translations sitting. I use the Bible app. I go to Bible Gateway. And so uh, pick a trans, I would say, have a physical Bible. Have a main translation. Right. Right. Pick your translation. and, And like I recommended, get a study Bible. But then you can also reference these other things so that you don't have to have just a table full of Bibles, which is great, but you don't have to do that because we have so many great resources available. To I was going to
1: say, yeah, <laughs> unless you have gobs of money and space exactly. for a library, <laughs>
0: right.
1: um, which if you do, I would like to have a conversation with you. I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> just joking, exactly. <laughs> kidding. Not kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love libraries. I love books. Right. I love like, uh, I, I don't know. Right. I, I have a, I have a problem. So, but, um, yeah. Plus, the Bible tools makes it super easy to mm-hmm. do the comparisons because you can exactly. look at everything right side by side. Right. Where if you were picking up a physical Bible for each of those translations, you might lose track of what's being said. Right. Um, so yeah, software helps out a lot.
0: It does. It does. So well, as we come to a close on this Bible study, do you have any final thoughts or anything for us, Chris?
1: Read Scripture. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it is that that seems like the simplest saying to walk out of a a complex topic. <laughs> But God wants to speak to us, mm-hmm. and, and the Holy Spirit uses the words of Scripture in ways, in our lives that are um, beyond compare. Mm-hmm. And the more you study, the more you're going to discover. The more you discover, the more you're going to love. Exactly, um, love the Word of God. And mm-hmm. so, like that's been my story, and that's what that's why we do this podcast. Because I want people. Um, my heart and my desire is that they would discover the God who mm-hmm. who who is on the pages of of this of these texts, Mm -hmm. um, to know him, to be loved by him and to, um, to, to walk in life with him is, is beyond compare. Yeah. And so that's the heart. That's, that's the hope. And that's, that's really why, why I love doing what we're doing. So,
0: all right. So this has been an awesome conversation. I know that I have learned a lot and I hope all of you that have joined us as well Thank you so much for joining us today. We do hope. We hope that you're enjoying this, that you are learning and growing. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us uh, through the email um, that's in the screen notes, or you can see that on the screen if you're watching the video. Again, thank you guys. We hope you'll join us again soon.